We are a community that loves like Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. We are continuing our sermon series called The Sermon on the Mount. And today's sermon is titled, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. Now, this sermon is going to be a little bit challenging, so I hope that by the end we are ready to be better. And that's my prayer for us today. We're nearing the end of the Beatitudes, and in Matthew 5, 9, it says this, happier people who make peace because they will be called God's children. In the New International Version, it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, there is no one who can argue with me that in our day, in our current culture, we need a good dose of peace in our lives. The last couple of years have definitely been tumultuous, even just in our own hearts and our private lives. And if you look at the world around us, you and all of us have witnessed a great deal of unrest. If you look at the last season as hopefully we are entering into a new season, the mental healing that we need from the previous months of life I think it's due a time of peace. Well, the obvious here that I want to share first is because of the last season, peace is in short supply. And I believe the reason for that and the case for that is it is very hard to work for outer peace when we have very little inner peace in our hearts. Yet the Beatitudes say that we should actively be a peacemaker. Yet if I don't have the tools to make inner peace, how am I supposed to make outer peace in the world around me? When our insides are all riled up, then this proposition of being a peacemaker is a very difficult task. I believe that Jesus has given us the tools to accomplish peace. Yet it takes, as Brene Brown would say, the hard work to accomplish such things. We need to do some inner self-reflection. Jesus, I believe, gives us the tools to accomplish what I would say the culture deems as out of this world, that it's out of this world to proclaim world peace. It's an impossible task. And the church has also failed, though, to fully access this power, I believe, in a real way to bring even peace in our little worlds around us. We have settled for far less than what Jesus had hoped for us. We've settled for less peace. We've settled for less love. We've settled for less transformation. Well, I think it's time for a little bit of change. I heard an illustration once about a moth and how a moth flies. And moths actually existed before porch lights existed. So you have to get that piece of knowledge planted in your head first, that moths have been around for a very long time. And moths fly at a constant angle in relationship to the moon or the stars. And that's called transverse orientation. Yet around artificial light, the angle of the light actually changes when the moth flies by, and so it gets a little bit confused. And they've mistaken cheap light for the light of the moon. And, it, and that's not a good thing, because when this happens, the moth actually overheats, and it falls to the ground, and gets eaten by a predator. So there's your entomology lesson for the day. So we have to reorient ourselves, according to this metaphor, we have to reorient ourselves to the light of the moon. 
the gospel and not settle for some cheap substitution. So this is the moon. In Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, this is what we need to orient ourselves to. I ask that he will strengthen you in your inner selves from the riches of his glory through the Spirit. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith as a result of having strong roots in love. I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width, length, height, depth, together with all believers. I ask that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. Well, I hope that we all can be there, that we are experiencing the depth and the height of God's love in our lives. Yet I don't always feel those things. So the point of this is not to shame you and call you stupid for banging into a light bulb because I'm not the author of peace even in my own life. I struggle with peace and and I struggle with disruption and interruption probably more than anybody that I know. So covering this topic, I'm a learner as well. And so the first idea that I want to give us that I've learned from so far in this message in the Beatitude of Blessed are the Peacemakers is we need to learn about peace in the world. And I believe that it is hard to recognize peace or find solutions of peace in our world because we are surrounded by cheap lights. We have a very anemic view of what light is and what what real light or the moon is actually supposed to look like. Peace is not just for a minute, and it's not a little bit, even though sometimes we want that. I just want peace for a moment, right? Peace, as the gospel explains, is long-lasting and eternal. And our anemic view of peace mainly is built on a faulty foundation. Our beliefs are built on cheap light versus that transverse orientation to the moon. So we believe that, for example, that violence is necessary. We believe that people need to die to pay for their crimes. And the solution to human violence is more conflict. So we need to endure more conflict or more violence based on others' violence. Well, I would say that violence is all around us all the time. Even in our speak, we use violent language. I have said more often than not, just like everybody else, I'm going to kill you, right? It seems like a common language amongst us, or I want to kill that person, or whatever. We use the word kill very loosely. Would we, for example, ever approve of our children watching 200,000 violent acts on TV before 18? Yet, that's a statistic. That's what our children are growing up with, uh, the, the acts of violence that they put in their brains, right? And I'm not saying that your kid is going to be violent because of that. I'm saying that violence is all around us. It's everywhere, and we are desensitized to it. So what I believe, though, is that we've all learned that violence is the solution to conflict. And this is the antithesis of what Jesus taught and what he wanted us to become. So the author and theologian Walter Wink said, we are living in a theater of unending violence. Well, Amanda and I watch a show called The Arrow. And in this program, there's this constant 
constant feed of violence, right? Good guys and bad guys and this person shooting this person and that person shooting back. What's interesting is the good guys never die. I mean, it just seems like that the good guys just live eternally and they're shooting up the bad guys. Yet there's this discussion in the middle of the program, a common theme in every episode, a discussion of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Little discussion. And there's a confusion in every episode. Like you get confused. Well, is the good guy actually the bad guy and the bad guy actually the good guy? And they actually question themselves within the episode when it comes to violence or, or when it comes to killing. Well, we find ourselves rooting for the perceived good guy, even though the good guy is entrenched in acts of violence, or you are rooting for the perceived bad guy because then you're against the perceived good guy. Now you have to be on team bad guy. And this happens in the episodes that we watch on TV all the time. I think about the, the show Breaking Bad. You actually, in Breaking Bad, by episode six or seven, you're rooting for a meth cooker in that show. How is it possible that you're rooting for a drug dealer in the middle of a program? Well, Walter Wink also says that when we make violence pleasurable, then the principalities and powers move people in compliance with a system that is cheating them of their very lives. So the principalities and powers that the Bible is speaking of is this, corrupt worldly domination systems, corrupt institutions, Traditions that are built on sinful foundations, forces of violence and forces of injustice and unjust behavior patterns, and the, demo the demonic that wreaks havoc on the world. That's what the Bible says that principalities and powers are. And when I think about being a peacemaker, I need to think about what foundation in which I'm building that piece on? Am I building it on the tools and the instruction manual and the people and the, the influence of, of the Christian, my Christian belief and of Jesus? Is that the foundation? Well, a lot of times in our peacemaking, we try to make cupcakes with a hammer because we've built our lives and our peacemaking on the wrong foundation. We're trying to build the kingdom of God with a foundation of broke, a broken world, and that just doesn't work. So in the world, the instruction manual to bring peace, we are told to identify the bad guy and take out the bad guy. We maim them, humiliate them, objectify them, kill them, as so to control others to say, I'm not going to be like them because that's the consequence of their behavior. Well, the good news of the gospel tells us that conflict does not need to lead to violence. Jesus tells us this is not the way it has to be. So the world without violence is the moon in which the moth tra transverses with, that orients itself to, that that's the light of the moon. Well, I understand that a war movie wouldn't, would be incredibly boring if it was just a room and a table with two leaders negotiating a peace deal without guns and shooting. You need guns and shooting to make a good war movie. That's, that's our entertainment of violence. But we need different tools than conflict leads to violence. So our first tool that we need to plant in our hearts is this. 
according to Jesus, according to the gospel, people are never our enemy. Sometimes they look like an enemy, and they do things like an enemy, but the Bible is very clear that people are never our enemy. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers. So whoever you think your enemy is or the enemy of our current times, remember that people are not the enemy. They do not have that much power. Corruption, injustice, traditions, evil forces, those are the enemy. So remember the dangerous notion that if people were our enemy, then anyone can fall into that enemy category. Anyone, including the innocent. We deem somebody the enemy and they become inhumane. We have to make them inhumane because they're the enemy. They're lower than us. They're less than the good guy. They're the bad guy. They're team enemy, so they're less than team good. They don't match a standard of our norm of team good. They're different. So I believe that much of our racial tension and violence is because we dehumanize people. And therefore, the consequence of dehumanized or, or the dehumanized person has to be death. Why? They need to die because they were on drugs. I've heard people that, that have said that, you know, all pedophiles just need to be lined up and shot. I mean, we say things about people who have done incredibly wrong things, and because they engaged in wrong behavior, the consequence of their behavior has to be death. There's no other way. They look dangerous. It goes as, uh, to this far. When we dehumanize another person and objectify another person and say they're the enemy, just looking dangerous, walking down a street, they deserve to die. They pass off a phony $20 bill, they deserve to die. They receive strange packages at their doorstep consistently, they deserve to die. So when you deem someone less than human, it's easy to justify actions of violence against them. I actually had an argument with someone that they believed that if someone shoplifted a store, if they got shot after they shoplifted a store, they deserved to die. They were doing something illegal, so they deserved to die. Well, when I was six years old, I shoplifted a candy bar from Pronto's Market in, in Los Angeles when I was six. And I'm glad that someone didn't believe that about me, that I deserved to die because I shoplifted a candy bar. Well, second tool that we need to learn is remember that most of our violence stems from scapegoating. Again, I'm on team good, and I'm going to collect all the people who think like me, and I'm going to have this collective of people who act like me and all look the same as me, and I create this tribe of me, people that think, and we have a group think, right? And then since people are my enemy then those people on Team Evil that look different than me, act different than me, and are a different tribe, they're wrong, and they are the problem. So we scapegoat them as the problem, and therefore we attack them, we humiliate them, we objectify them, we punish them, and we pers persecute them. We have done a really good job. And as of late, I mean, think about you know when people say, well, those that are on the left... And those that are on the right, I mean, we just, we just categorize people into team good and team bad. And we've done a really good job in labeling 
the bad guys. And, and we've actually done it for millennia. In the church, for, for millennia, we have labeled people good and bad. And churches that are good and bad. And churches that believe a certain thing, well, that's the slippery slope to hell, right? So we actually label churches, entire congregations of people as team good or team bad. I remember in the day, women who wanted authority and leadership, they were the bad guys. They were team evil. Divorced people, they're team bad. LGBTQ, they're team bad. Democrats, they're team bad. We do a really good job in identifying team evil. And I think about all the years that I spent in the church, and I'm saddened, and I'm also sickened by the amount of energy that we spent trying to identify the bad guy. And honestly, all this behavior was like circling a little light on the porch like a moth focused on fake light. It's a total waste of time. And in our last year, we have thought we are very smart. When some people groups have yelled out at other people groups, and you're on this team and that team, and they're bad, and we're good, and you're good, and they're bad, I mean, we've yelled out in entire people groups, entire, entire groups and organizations, and just labeled them as bad guys. We've yelled out at black people as the bad guy. We've yelled out at police as the bad guy. BLM supporters are the bad guy. The Thin Blue Line supporters are the bad guy. Illegal immigrants are the bad guy. It's terrible how we've just labeled people team evil or team good, like we're self-righteous people and we, we, we know that we're good over them. We put ourselves over other people. Well, it's called being reductionistic, actually. This is when we blame or we come up with a simple solution blame to a really complex problem. So we have this complex problem. So I'm going to point my finger at a simple little idea and, and we're going to blame that. So I don't have to look at myself. We actually are pointing our finger at something so I don't have to see myself as a part of the problem. And also we're not comfortable with gray. We want crystal clear answers to our complex problems. And people in our crystal clear finger pointing have to be team evil. That person is team evil. Well, I have to say that no matter where you're at, what you're believing in, who you side with, what organization you belong to, or what, what you're doing, right? We do not fight against flesh and blood People are never the enemy. So here's a third tool, and this gets really personal. All of that was incredibly, you can even incredibly call all what I just said incredibly political, right? But the third tool here is incredibly personal. You do not need a bad guy in order to be a good guy. And that's where we have failed. We have failed that we're the good people, so therefore there has to be the bad people. And the Bible teaches that you don't need a bad guy in order to be a good guy. And so that's how we make peace in our worlds. We can be the team good without even having a team evil. Remember that Jesus put Satan 
and crushing under his feet. He has broken the chains of the devil. He has broken those strongholds in your life. And so Satan has no power over you. So the principalities and powers, think about it. Satan is not, has no power. So team evil is like weak in, in your life. So, so you don't need a team bad in order to be on team good. And so here are some tangibles. I think that, that this is how to be a just team good, be a good guy without having team evil or team bad guys, right? Number one, we need to commit the people that we're having conflict with that we're struggling with, that we're not getting along with, right? We need to commit the people that we're having conflict with to prayer every day. Every day, we need to pray for the people that are in our lives that we're just having that back and forth, maybe maybe conflict with. But to just have thoughts and prayers, right? Thoughts and prayers, that's just, that's the Bible just says you can't stop there, right? You need to do that, but also there needs to be something else. And so number two, we can do exercises for peace. And an exercise of peace, just like you lift weights in the gym or supposed to lift weights in the gym or whatever, lift weights at home, right? To exercise your muscles. We can do exercise for our spiritual muscles as well. And so exercise for peace. Turn off the news. Turn off social media. Stop the inflow of violent information if you have to. Find a place in your life to do that and find a place to be at peace. Maybe you need to find a quiet place in your life. You can meet up with someone that you know that lowers the volume in your life, a person that brings a sense of goodness and common goodness to you. So, so that's something that to, that to do to exercise peace in your life. And so we pray, but we just don't, you know, thoughts and prayers, I'm going to go to my meditative happy place. That's not where we stop. So number three, we need to have relationships in our life that we're engaged in loving people. So love relationships in our life, starting to love others like Jesus wanted us to love. You know that Jesus prayed that we are to have oneness with others like the Trinity. And that's like that divine dance between God the Creator and, and Jesus and the Spirit, right? Where we have this with we have this divine dance with people that shows a lot of love. And we we carry out in tangible ways loving others, involving ourselves in other people's lives as respected. And, and we just enter in and we sacrifice and we're generous and we give of our time and our talents and our treasures to other people. We have that oneness with others. But we just can't hang out with people and, and not understand people. We can be generous with people. But we need to know how to be generous. And that's number four, is we need to empathize with others. We need to empathize with others and tell I can say this, if I went through what you went through, I would probably act exactly like you do. If I went through what you did, I have a great chance of doing and saying and acting and being just like you. And that's, that's empathizing, just seeing ourselves in another person's shoes, walking life with them long enough that we understand 
why they are the way that they are. We pray for people. We we exercise peace exercises in our life. We love people in tangible ways, and we spend enough time with others in that divine dance that we end up empathizing and understanding why others do what they do. I think one of the the greatest conflicts that right now we can exercise such things, that we can pray, that we can exercise peace, we can tangibly love and empathize with others. I think the church universal in the last you know, probably, well, since the beginning of the church, let's say, we as a church universal have struggled trying to figure out how to approach and relate to the LBGTQ community. And in our fear and in our othering and our labeling, this community, right, is team bad guy, like I mentioned before. That's been our practice, Now, first, I think that it's really important and appropriate that anyone who identifies as a straight Christian, we just by association to the church, just because we belong to the Christian church, our association, maybe it's been your promotion. Maybe it's our complacency. And maybe even our complicit behavior. However or whatever, if you belong and are a part of the church, we owe the LBGTQ community an apology. The treatment that you have had to endure in the decades past is a description of all I just talked about, violence, all the way up to our current times. We've othered, we've labeled, we've called names, we've stood out on street corners, we've yelled through bullhorns, we've posted on on social media, we've attacked and persecuted by those who profess Jesus and claim to be disciples of Jesus. And for that, I am sorry. Straight Christians have judged, excluded, we've persecuted you. We've scapegoated you all because of our fear of difference. See, I believe the most demonic way we have achieved unity as the church, as Brian Zand would say, we pool together our own people who express the same anxiety, the same fear and the rage, and we object it upon some them, quote unquote. And this is scapegoating, and the gay community has endured this behavior from the, from, for a very, very long time. The homophobia from the church. The LBGT community has been horribly stereotyped by the Christian church. We have been universally hostile and a universally hostile environment for the gay, against the gay and for the gay community. And I think that that stems from this, our misapplication of the Bible, which has led to all kinds of discrimination in many people groups and communities in our history. And when Christians act this way, they're acting in complete contradiction 
to what Jesus stood for. Jesus never sided with the Pharisees and actually rebuked them for self-righteousness. And Jesus sided with those that were the most judged. The most judged sat at his feasting table. See, Peter says in the Bible that when we disagree with someone, we need to respond in two ways, gentleness and respect. And when we approach another with compassion and we take a learning posture to someone that we are unfamiliar with, that is gentleness and respect. We have a sense of care and a sense of love and a sense of generosity. Yet our religion and our propositions that we shouldn't and they are wrong, that religion makes us a worse person towards people and especially the gay community. Yet the person of Jesus teaches us to be a better person, a more loving person, a more caring person, a more accepting person, a more compassionate person, a more empathetic person, and a more respectful person. We are supposed to love like the, the Bible teaches that we are supposed to love like the rain falls and the sun shines. And the sun never chooses to shine, it never chooses who it shines upon. And the rain never chooses who it gets wet. It does what it does. And Jesus says for us to love in such a way, without judgment, without, without choosing, our love is to, is to spread to everyone, all of his creation. And we have failed to show the LBGTQ community the love of Jesus. And we need to, from this point forward, change that reputation. That's my prayer, and that's my heart, and that's what I'm motivated to do, and we are committed now to do better. And this is one of the important ways that tangibly we can step out of our violence and be a peacemaker and be a blessing to the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this message of peacemaking. Lord, that's an action that we need to take. Lord, and as we've sat on our hands and we haven't done what we've needed to do and to, to work through conflict, to work through disagreement, but most importantly, in all of it, to show love and to show respect and gentleness. Lord, I pray that we can do better. I pray that we can engage in that kind of activity. I pray that people would see us having the reputation of the kind of love that Jesus had, the kind of acceptance that Jesus had, Lord, the, the kind of compassion and empathy that Jesus had. Help us to be that kind of people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.